0: Hello everybody and welcome back to the Real Estate Rundown. Today I have the wonderful opportunity of interviewing Jeffrey Holst who is the co-host of the Old Fashioned Real Estate Show. I'd really like to be on this show. They mix bourbon old fashions and talk about real estate investing. But more than that, Jeffrey is a recovering attorney. I I don't know that you ever get that completely out of your system but he's become a full-time real estate investor with more than 200 residential units and several commercial properties to his credit. So, Jeffrey, thank you and welcome to the show.
1: Hey, thanks for having me. I appreciate it.
0: So, Jeffrey, you mentioned that you're a recovering attorney. Uh, what, what is, is there 12 steps or is it 12 steps and then you do depositions? What are the, what are the process of becoming a recovering attorney?
1: Right. Well, um, the trick is just to stop practicing law. Uh, You know, it's like anything. If you want to recover from alcoholism, you stop drinking. If you want to recover from being an attorney, you just stop doing it. Um, But it's stuck, right? It's just like being an alcoholic. Once you're an alcoholic, you're always an alcoholic. It's kind of the same with attorneys, unless the bar tells you differently, right? (laughs) So there's another parallel there.
0: Right, exactly. But what is it that what is it that got you involved in being an attorney? I mean, what 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 took you to that place in
1: life? I guess I just wanted to make money, right? I mean, my dad was an attorney, so it just seemed like the thing to do. I just grew up, and I actually, I don't think I've ever told this on a show before. But when I was growing up, and I was maybe like seven or eight years old, I went to Greenfield Village, which is uh, it's like a Ford Museum thing in Detroit, and uh, they, they have all this stuff. They have like an old timey place and they had a, a, a like, like live action history stuff, right? Where people act out the history. And there was a person that was a Abraham Lincoln impersonator there. And, uh, and Abraham Lincoln asked us kids what Abraham Lincoln did for a living. And I was like, oh, I know this. He's a lawyer. And they're like, okay, cool. What do lawyers do? And I just said, they make money. Right, like I just thought that's what lawyers did, because that's all I knew. I was seven, and I was like, "Well, my dad goes to work. He comes home with money. It's that's yeah. how it works." Yeah, uh, and so I guess I just had it stuck in my head. That was the best way to make money. So that's what I did.
0: What particular uh, what particular venue of law were you in? Was it criminal? Was it uh, business?
1: I had a general practice, so I did a little bit of everything. So I took over my dad's firm. He started a trucking company and moved out of. We were in Grand Rapids, Michigan. He he moved down to Tennessee, uh, started this trucking company, and I just kind of took over for him. Uh, and then over the first couple of years, I I transitioned out of doing criminal stuff and divorce stuff into doing just bankruptcy. Uh, and this was really great timing. I'm very fortunate in this stuff. Uh, I started doing only bankruptcy in 2007 when the economy was super hot and no one was doing bankruptcy. And then like a week later, the economy fell apart and I was busier than I could even handle. I was hiring more attorneys and doing television commercials, you know, all that kind of stuff. So
0: So we don't have you to blame for it, but you were well positioned to profit from it. That's great. You know, that that just goes to prove that timing is everything and sometimes being being late to the show uh, isn't what you want to be. But what was it like in 2008 and nine and through the bloodletting there to the bottom?
1: Yeah, so I got a little distracted in late 2008. So early, late 2007, early 2008, we were doing all bankruptcies. I was filing about 250 bankruptcies a year uh, at that point. So, you know, five to 10 per week, every week um and it was just a gravy train and it was it was so crazy at that time i had one client i told him we were charging like fifteen hundred dollars for bankruptcy back then which is actually a lot of money but it's what the market was paying and so we would we i told this guy it's fifteen hundred dollars and he's like well i lost my job i don't have any way to make this money and i'm like "Ah, sorry i don't have a choice like in bankruptcy you really do have to take the money up front because if you don't, it becomes bankruptable, and then they no longer owe it to you. So you really don't have very many choices. At least that's how it was then. There, there's a few different ways around that now. But I told him this, and then like two days later, he came back, and he paid me in ones and fives. And I was like, wait a minute. Where did you get a stack of ones and fives, right? That adds up to $1,500. And he's like, I went on the street corner with a sign that said, I need money to pay my bankruptcy attorney. And, uh, you know, but that's how it was then. Like everyone was on the street corner, right? They're just, uh, <laughs> they're like, they're just, they didn't have any money and they didn't have anything to do. And it, and we were helping people and it felt good, honestly. Right. Uh, it was a little depressing, but I was in a town that had a GM plant that closed down. So we had tons of people that were high income earners that suddenly didn't have income. There were tons of uh, truck drivers that, you know, their freight volumes had collapsed, um, fuel prices were going up, they couldn't afford to make money, they were losing their trucks and, and therefore their livelihood. And so there was just a just an enormous challenge in the market at that time. But uh, it, was, um, it was, like I said, it was fairly lucrative and through the first half of 2008, I made a, a pretty good amount of money, probably the most money up until that point that I'd ever made. Um, I was paying myself a salary, I was paying bonuses to one of my other attorneys that I had working for me. And I still had, I don't know, 80 or $90,000 in profit for the six or seven months going into that that part of the year. And of course, I was actually wasting a lot of money because when things are going good, it's really easy to uh, start spending money on things that you shouldn't. So I signed like phone book ad contracts, which sounds crazy now, but it was a different world in 2008. For like, (laughs) $6,000 $6,000 a month to pay for phone book ads and, you know, all this stuff. And we're just like, we're just trying to grow like crazy. We're signing television commercial deals and having television commercials made up. And, and, uh, and it was really great. And then I got sick, odd leukemia. Uh, it was, it was the weirdest thing. Like, I, I don't know why this is, but I always felt like I might not live very long. And so I lived my life like I wasn't going to live very long. Um, uh, and so I was doing all this stuff and I had started checking stuff off my bucket list. And the last thing that I had on my bucket list was to go to Machu Picchu in Peru. And so I went to Machu Picchu uh, in August of 2008. And, uh, and I was like, this is great. And I climbed off of the mountain. It's, it's on top of a mountain, right? An ancient Incan city on a mountain. Climbed off the mountain and I went to the payphone and checked my voicemail because this is like pre-international like international cell phone plans. And I had a voicemail from the attorney in my office saying that he was putting in his two-week notice. And I was like, wow, that's inconvenient. And then a week after that, I got home and I was really sick. And that's when I was diagnosed with leukemia. uh, And I couldn't work for a long time. And I had all those phone book ads. And I had all the the expenses that I had created for myself uh, as I was trying to grow. And now I had zero attorneys, right? I couldn't work. And I had no other attorney working for me. Uh, and it became very apparent very quickly that that was a bad situation to be in, and so I first started out by you know trying to help people out of bankruptcy and then ended up in a giant financial hole of my own. you know it was about six thousand five five or six thousand dollars a week to break even and I had zero dollars coming in and I did that for take, about a year
0: it didn't take long for that to pile up and become an insurmountable uh pile and so here you were, you found yourself at what should have been the height of your career. Um, you know, you're flying high, everything is going beautifully. Um, you're helping people, you're making tons of money, you've, you've got everything on your bucket list checked off, and then you're given this diagnosis and you've got no backup help. What, what did that feel like?
1: Well, I mean, it didn't feel great. Uh, I've had this thing for a while. Actually, since I was 17, I made a decision that I was never going to have a bad day, so... I had had at that point i was 30 and i had 13 years of you know consecutive good days and so uh, and and by the way that's it's something that everyone should do it's really just a choice it might be self-delusion but if you confuse yourself long enough into believing it's a good day then you know it's all right so and i always say good and bad stuff happens to everyone right so you have to spend time focusing on the positive and minimizing the negative and you know maybe if i'd been diagnosed with leukemia when i was 18 i would have not had the sort of mental fortitude to push through it but i remember sitting in the hospital thinking um and this was in september uh if i can make it till christmas and spend one last christmas with my family i'm I'm gonna be happy about that like i was trying to look forward to like you know little things in the future and my dad said to me that day he said if you make it till february i'm gonna take you to australia And I really didn't think I would make it. And I said, no, you know, I just want to make it till Christmas. That's where my mind was. So what it was like, it's hard to explain. But I was resigned to my fate, but also still positive about things that were going on in my life and still felt like there were good things that were happening and could happen. And I was like, I just need to. I started thinking about like, how can I leave an impact? You know, if I'm only going to have another two months or three months, and I really did think I was going to die. My white blood cell count was 258. It's supposed to be like four to 10. Um, And I had a cousin die of leukemia a year or two before that, and hers never got above 150. So I was convinced for about a week that I was definitely toast. Uh, And that's actually in retrospect a blessing because – it, it, it has a tendency to focus your, your, your mind, right? And it, it helps you to understand how short life really is when you're looking at it and going, wow, like this is terrible. So I just said, once I started to get better and had a path to health, I said, I'm just gonna keep moving forward. And so I just kept moving forward.
0: You use the word uh, mental fortitude and it's so often, yes, it is a choice, but behind that needs to be you know, the strength to continue to make that choice, sometimes minute by minute. Sometimes hour by hour. Sometimes you get the privilege of having it be week by week, where you're going to have a good week. But but you were at the place where you were having to decide. I'm going to have a good hour so that I can stack 24 of those together, so that I can have a good day, so that I can have a good week, so that I can make it to Christmas, have one more Christmas. That must have just been. Uh, I, I can't really imagine how that must have felt, but but I can see how the flip side of that to be the woe is me, my life is being cut short, I'm getting ripped off, I'm not getting this, Uh, life has been so unfair and how much that would have taken away from your thought process at the time and how greatly that would have impacted your parents and the people close to you and your family that was around you if during that last, what you thought was your last moments was all focused on poor me. So, it's amazing how people forget that their mental process affects so many other people around them.
1: Right. Well, and my main concern was for my wife. I I felt like I owed it to her to figure this out because she worked full time job so that I could get through law school. And I was only a few years out of law school. I have an MBA and a law degree, so I was in school until I was old. Right. So I'm only a few years out of school, and then. All of a sudden, it's like, you know, she, she put in all this effort to get to a point where somebody would be able to, you know, produce this money for her. And then all of a sudden, it just like it was done, right? And like, and, and then we're like, hey, uh, we're bankrupt. And that, you know, as a bankruptcy attorney, going bankrupt is actually really embarrassing because, you know, all the bankruptcy trustees and the other bankruptcy attorneys and everything. So I was just like, I have to do something completely different. One, I need better insurance. Right that was super important because the drugs I was taking were twenty thousand dollars a month, literally oh. twenty thousand a month, actually like twenty two thousand a month, and so I knew I needed to have really good insurance, uh, so I started looking around for an option to get a job uh, and then ultimately was able to go and work for my dad. he was able to provide me that job. It didn't pay very well, you know it was uh six hundred dollars a week, but I thought has good insurance and it's enough to pay for my uh you know my rent, and so I moved to Chattanooga. I've been here ever since, uh, and I started uh, getting some bonuses. and And as we grew the company, I was able to get you know more and more salary. And I just, but I, I knew I didn't want to work for my dad or really for anyone, right? So I was like, I, I that's why I was practicing law. I didn't want to work for someone else. So I just started buying real estate, and you know another. Good fortune of timing uh, when I finally had enough money saved up to buy the first piece of real estate was 2011, which was the bottom of the market for the most part. And so we bought this condo for $30,000 that honestly it had been worth 110, 120 a year or two before. And it was a bank owned uh, foreclosure and it didn't really need a lot of work. Uh, And we still own it now. And it's, you know, it's again, it's back over a hundred easily. Uh, I haven't had it appraised, but I'm confident in its value. Uh, and, and we actually have been able to cash flow this now for, you know, almost 10 years. So
0: You've made that journey back to health. You went to work for your dad. I know what that's like. My, my father and I have, have worked together throughout my career. I'm, you know, I'm in the general contracting business because of him. Uh, and so we've we've done that thing, and I know how it is working for family. But sometimes you're right; you you got to do what you got to do to get get the bills paid. But now you you've realized that you know real estate was where it was going to take you. I mean, what was the light that went on? What was the epiphany that happened that said, "Hey, let's leave trucking. Let's leave." Uh, Let's leave law. Let's go into something completely
1: different. I guess I'd always been interested in real estate. My dad had a few rentals when I was a kid and I always thought it was an interesting thing. So I watched like Carlton Sheets, No Money Down infomercials when I was 14 and 15. And uh, I read Rich Dad, Poor Dad when I was like 19. And I always was thinking, this is something I'm going to do later. Like someday I'm going to invest in real estate. And when I got sick, I realized that if you say someday too long, you're going to it's never going to happen. Like you're going to die. And the other thing I realized is you need to add more things to your bucket list. So I started adding those back into but, but the, yeah, but the real the real lesson was, you can't just say someday, you just have to do it. And so I just started become relentless on focusing on that. And of course, we didn't have any money or any credit. Uh, so it was challenging, we had to do a lot of private money stuff and partnerships, uh, things like that. I had a, a partner of mine that I'd met in law school we did quite a few deals together we still own quite a bit of property together we have a few apartment buildings and stuff like that now uh, but uh, yeah I just I just went I'm gonna do this and because I had a job I didn't have to take any money out right we just kept reinvesting all of the proceeds of that and I wish I could say one day I just decided I had enough and I could quit working but what really happened is uh, we had an opportunity to sell the company that my dad had he didn't want to do it anymore. I didn't want to buy it from him. And so we sold it to someone else. And then I found myself out of a job. And I thought, I'll just go to the beach and like hang out. And I got bored in like a week. And so I started buying apartments at that point.
0: So then you're, you're, you're transitioning into an, a, another phase of your life where now you're full time whether you like it or not. So you didn't really have that, uh, yes, honey, this really feels comfortable to make this transition now, um, it just kind of happened.
1: Yeah, I mean, I had a lot of warning because I was helping, you know, with the sale of the company. Uh, you know, at that point, I was doing a lot of the back end legal and a lot of accounting and stuff, and so I had built some really good banking relationships and all that. So I'd been expanding real estate. I had been planning for a while that I would eventually be able to get out, but again, waiting longer than I should have probably because. It's easy to kind of stay in the status quo. Uh, and I thought I could go get another job. And I seriously considered that. I mean, it wouldn't have been difficult. The economy in 2017 when I uh, stopped working was really good, right? I mean, it's you know, other than this COVID thing, I think it's been pretty good the whole time right. since then. Um, and so I had an opportunity to get a job and I just went, you know, I think I can make more money if I focus on real estate, uh, and I I think that's been true. I mean we we had about seventy or eighty single family houses in small multis like two duplexes and stuff like that. Uh when I quit working. Uh but now we have, you know, like I said, like you said at the beginning, more than a couple hundred units. Uh and a lot of, you know, we have we started, we bought a 12 unit that first year, then a nineteen and then a thirty-two and then a forty-one. You know, we just kept buying them and we've been able to do things like uh, some deal syndication that we wouldn't have been able to do before and bought some an office building and a strip mall. And, and I mean, I added 50 units this year in spite of COVID, right? I mean, I've, I bought a 22 unit in January, a 16 unit in March. And well we haven't added the other 12 yet, but we have them under contract and we'll close them next month sometime. Um, or maybe the end of this month since it's August now.
0: Right. Right. Yeah, you kind of lose track of time when you're when you're uh, when we're in, in lockdown or modified lockdown or coming in. We we don't know if we're coming in or going out of lockdown or if we're being relocked or unlocked. Probably
1: or. both. Right. Like we're in and out.
0: So what was that? I mean, you 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 just touched on it real lightly. I want to dig into that a little bit because a lot of people look at that and go, Well, you know, I want to get started in real estate, but I don't have any credit but we always hear that coming out of bankruptcy, it's not that you don't have credit, you have negative credit. You have the stigmatism attached to you that you you, you didn't pay somebody back and so you have negative credit. How were you able to get from n- negative credit in 2008, 2009 when you're filed to, you know, they say it takes 10 years for it to- Yeah, pl- I
1: filed in 10 actually.
0: Okay. So you, yeah. you so I, it actually
1: it's sti- Yeah, it's still on my record now. I filed in December of 2010. So, it'll go off this year. <laughs> so, yeah. yay for that, yeah. right? I'm like almost there now. Yeah. Uh, well listen, I I I got to when I when I first started buying in 2011, we bought for cash, right? Mm-hmm. So, we saved up a little bit of money and it was a $30,000 purchase price. I had a partner on the deal, so it was 15,000 each. And we bought it for cash. Then we bought another deal a little while later for cash. In that deal, my partner actually loaned me the cash because I was out of cash. But he was like, it's in the same building. I'll just loan it to you, Uh, like an interest-only deal. Uh, And that's how we got the first two deals. Um, and And then it became a lot trickier, right? We didn't have credit. Like you said, it was negative credit. I mean, I always told my bankruptcy clients that, uh filing bankruptcy is like dropping an atom bomb on your credit right it's like it takes a long time to recover from that yeah and uh you know credit is a function of really three things it's um your debt to income ratio uh your past repayment of debt and that's where bankruptcy really hurts you is under the past repayment of debt and then also um Uh, the longevity of your credit, right? So how long have you had stuff open? And and bankruptcy hurts you on that too. So, because it closes a bunch of your accounts. So now you have no open credit lines and all this stuff. And you have this bad mark on your credit report. Uh, The only thing it does help you is you you have a much better debt to income ratio because it doesn't (laughs) affect your income. For most people, they have a job still, and now they don't have debt anymore. Of course, for me, because I was a bankruptcy attorney, it also made my income go to zero. So right. I was in the, the worst of worst situations, right? You I, know, there you go. There no you go, chance. Stringing
0: together a good, yeah, but, a good scenario about a bad situation. It, it does make your DTI pretty good, but it is an atom bomb that clears everything yeah,
1: out. It, yeah, it, it does do that. But for me, it wasn't so great because my income dropped to, you know, very low uh, from a pretty healthy income down to $600 a week, like I said. But um, it, it was uh, uh, what we did is we found another investor that had some money and we said, hey, we have these two paid off condos. Why don't you take a mortgage against those? Uh, for like 20,000 or 25,000 each, something like that, and then put in another 25,000. So then we had $75,000. And we went and bought a duplex uh, mm-hmm. together in partnership with that person. Um, and, and then we did deals like that. Just We just kept repeating that model. Uh, and it was all about credibility. We would go to people and say, hey, we have you know, six units now, and this is what it looks like. And, and we've got this deal under contract, uh, you know, do you want to partner with us on it? And we did some flipping to raise cash, and we did some turnkey stuff. Uh, you know, whatever we could do to, to bring in some additional revenue, and just kept reinvesting that into the into the real estate business. Now, and, and after a while, the stuff becomes less significant.
0: Right. Well, it also becomes easier to do because you have the credibility of having done three and then you've got the credibility of having done a dozen and then you've got the credibility of, you know, 30 and, and then pretty soon, you know, uh, as you know, then the deals start to come to you and you're not calling the bank and going, hey, I saw this property and it, and it becomes easier. But, but it's never, I mean, it's never a walk in the park. It's never, you know, you still have to do your due diligence and you still have to walk through the deals. You know, was your was your wife working with you on this, or was it just you and your partners, or or was was she was she confident in her role that you still owed her? Is that what the-
1: <laughs> so- well, you know, I said that, but I don't think she thought of it that way. That's how I thought of it, right? <laughs> yeah. Like I, I felt like I owed her. She never actually said no, that to me. So I understand she was pretty comfortable. She has a retail management job that she loves. Uh um uh the first few years we were in chattanooga she didn't work but she's been working retail management for several years now um and she said to me uh as long as we pay the bills uh you can do what you want just go do it and uh hopefully it works out uh so it wasn't uh, it wasn't a really hard sell uh but yeah i mean listen the the thing about it is i feel like The trick to real estate, and you kind of alluded to this before, you know, once you did it a couple of times, it got easier. The trick to real estate is like the trick to anything else. If you get really good at the fundamentals, like a few simple moves and do them over and over again, you you become better. The best golfer in the world, whoever that is, whether it's Tiger Woods or someone else these days, uh the best golfer in the world doesn't do anything different than you or I do when we're on the golf course, except right. for they do it much, much better than us. Right? right. There's only a few things you have to do. You have to swing a club. You have to be really good at putting. Uh, it's the same thing in real estate. I mean, you have to figure out how to come up with the cash. You've got to figure out how to analyze the deals and you've got to find deals. Um, but, but if you get good at those things, you're going to figure it out. Like you just yeah. keep getting better at it and keep educating yourself and I tell this to, you know, coaching students and I talk about it on my show all the time because I think it's really important to understand it's not rocket science. It's really just keep staying on top of what you're doing.
0: Yeah. You know, and I, I, I hear that from a lot of people and, and I grew up in a real estate family. So to me, real estate is not risky. It's never been risky. It's always been about the numbers. You know, there's no emotion involved in it. Never fall in love with the deal you know, but I hear so many people get stuck on the analysis paralysis of, of well, what about this and what about that? And here we are, you know, here we are, you're giving this advice and we're in the middle of COVID and we've got, you know, people going, well, what about, you know, what about vacancy rates and what about this and what about, you know, what about what's going to happen with, with lending? And, you know, all of those things will sort themselves out and they will cause adversity, but, you know, as, as you've had the more than enough in your life, you've figured out a way to overcome that adversity every single time and find a way to make the lemonade out of whatever you've got in front of you and to make sure that you're moving to the next level with what you're doing. And, and, and so much of that, uh, Jeffrey, comes back to where you were grounded. I mean, you, you, you mentioned earlier in the show that you had 13 years of consecutive good days you know and i and i really think that that mindset is so important with what you were what you're accomplishing now where you're going now you know it's not that you're lighthearted about covid it's just that you also understand you've stared death in the face you've stared bankruptcy in the face you've come back from both of those things you've had 13 years of consecutive good days and you've chosen through your life to focus on what is positive, what is good and what you can control to take you to the steps that lead you to what you can't. But you've also put yourself in a position where you've got the cash flow that never puts you back in the position where you have to face that, I got to go back to work for 600 bucks a week.
1: Yeah. I mean, listen, the the thing is, people make mistakes, period, right? I could have done things different. If I had to really be honest about it, the biggest mistake I made in real estate was not starting soon enough. I spent way too much time thinking about it and then not doing it, right? right. The second biggest mistake is probably not getting into multifamily any faster. I probably should have done that a lot sooner, but you can't change the past. You can only. You can only learn from the past. The most important moment in your life is right now, because what you do right now controls what happens in your future. And yeah, COVID's tough. Um, I didn't have any bad days when I found out about COVID. I mean, honestly, I I told you I went up Machu Picchu and kind of came down in a different world. I had the same experience again this year. I went to uh, Africa, to Tanzania and Ethiopia in February. I spent the whole month in Africa. I climbed Mount Kilimanjaro, right? So I climbed to the t- tallest point in all of Africa. And that was on February 18. That same day is the first day that COVID was reported in Africa. By the time I got down off the mountain a couple of days later, The whole world was infected with COVID. I mean, it was insane, right? I mean, it happened that fast. It literally went up the mountain in one world, came down in another one. And uh, I mean, you almost can't make it up. It's so crazy, the stuff that's been happening to us. But you know, I had 13 days, 13 years of good days before I got diagnosed. I've had another 12 since. So I'm on a quarter of a century of good days. That's more than half my life. I'm not going to let anything ruin my day. It's not worth it. It's more important to just keep moving forward. And that's the lesson of climbing Mount Kilimanjaro. Uh, It's really hard. Like, I mean, I think people should do this, but I mean, it's like the hardest physical thing I've ever done in my life. I'm fat and out of shape to start with, and then I lost toenails and had sunburn and windburn, and you know, and uh, and and I was like physically exhausted all the time, and you can't breathe because the air's so thin. You're and my brother selling. ended up going to the hospital. Like,
0: yeah, you're not selling. Yeah, so you're, you're not a I'm getting, I'm getting to the sales
1: pitch here. <laughs> I'm getting to the sales pitch though. You, you, I'm, t- I'm telling you, it was super hard. But at the other side of that, I just kept thinking if I just make it like 10 more feet, I can quit. And I just kept thinking that over and over and over again until I got to the top. Right? I literally thought for like six days of climbing, I thought I'm going to fail, but I just need to go 10 more feet. And I just thought that over and over and over again. And then all of a sudden I was at the top and I was crying. I was so happy. And I was thinking, you know what? I knew I could do this. Uh, and, you know, like I said, I was worried about stuff. My brother, he came with me. He ended up having to go back because he had acute mountain sickness, uh, he had a pulmonary edema. They told him if he kept climbing, he would die. He ended up four days in a hospital in Tanzania. And, you know, I guess I got lucky, but the thing is you just, the lesson is if you just keep walking, you get to your goal. Right. And that's what you have to do. If you want to have a good day, just keep focusing on the good stuff. If you want to be successful in real estate, keep focusing on real estate, stay on track, uh, set your trajectory and just go.
0: So the the other thing that I've that I that I didn't hear you say it, when you talked about the mistakes you made, you didn't mention that uh, the phone book advertising was a mistake. Uh, but now we don't have phone books anymore, so maybe you had something to do with that. Um, you you know you got into bankruptcy attorneys right before right. We, we needed that. It, the other thing is, are you going to set up a website or uh, called jeffreyclimbsamountain.com or something where we can follow when you go up a mountain? Because bad stuff starts happening when you go up a mountain. I mean, <laughs> you know, we can yeah. just kind of track that. I mean, right. You
1: know? Well, I think, <laughs> yeah, I think I'm done with mountain climbing, actually. <laughs> I, I've only really climbed two mountains in my life, and uh, neither of them worked out very well. So, yeah. uh, well, and I, you know, I climbed a a pretty big mountain and I got sick myself and then I climbed an even bigger mountain and the whole world got sick. If I ever do Everest, it's, you know, Armageddon, so. Right,
0: right. Then then what'll happen is what, what happened to your credit will happen to the world, right? So, we don't really want you climbing Everest. I mean, that's kind of a, yeah, that's on our the rest of our bucket list for you not to do that. So, you've given us a couple pieces of advice of things that you wish you'd have done. You wish you'd have started investing sooner, uh, you wish you'd have got out of single family and into multifamily quicker. What are some of the things that you wish you didn't do in in your multifamily housing journey?
1: You know, that's a tough one because I, I feel like things have gone really well. I've gotten very fortunate. I mean, starting to buy multifamily in 2017 helped a lot, of course. Uh, the things that I regret are, are opportunities missed, not anything that I actually did. Uh, there was a couple of deals that I passed up on that I thought, were okay deals at the time, but knowing what I know now about where the market was going, they would have been home run deals. So I would have done more of that. Um, another thing, uh, you know, we syndicated a deal uh, where we, we raised some money from some investors and it turned into a really great deal, which is great for our investors and I'm happy about it, but I'm greedy enough that I think maybe I should have done that deal. <laughs> on my own and kept it all for myself, uh but you know other I mean, but it is what it is you can't go back like you just right. keep pointing forward, you learn from the things you do and 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 honestly, I don't even really regret that because the investors took the risk with us, right they right. they you know wasn't guaranteed things are gonna turn out okay so
0: what is what what is structurally different? from your life in 08 and your life now that regardless of if we go through another, let's, let's say that we have another recession like we had in 8, 9, 10. What's different about the way that you're set up now versus then?
1: Well, I mean, for one thing, if I don't go to work, like I take a month off to go to Africa, I still get paid, which really helps obviously. People still need to live somewhere. Uh, I think, you know, multifamily is pretty safe in 2008 through 10. Uh, Multi-family foreclosure was pretty low. Uh, The rents could go flatline or even down a little bit and we'd still be fine. So the main structural difference is just that we have way more sources of revenue. You know, there's 200 plus families that are paying me. Uh, That's different than when I I was doing 200 bankruptcies a year. Still 200 plus families paying me, but those were one-offs. These are 200 plus families paying me every single month. Right. Uh, and if I don't work, I still get that. So, I think right. that's the main structural difference is that there's there's this predictable stream of income that's not yeah. contingent on my independent efforts.
0: Awesome. Well, Jeffrey, I uh, want to thank you for stopping by the Real Estate Rundown. As always, uh, it, invaluable information. I love your perspective on life. You know, one of the things that I see in the multifamily realm is that that everybody tends to focus on the mindset like you did. I've never heard anybody put it the way that you have. I think I'm going to steal it. I've had 13 years of consecutive good days. I wish I could string that title together. But but I really want to thank you for coming by the show, giving us your information, giving us the insight that you have and how you beat the odds and continue to stay positive. That's an amazing story, my friend.
1: Well, thanks for having me on. If you ever need anything, you know how to find me.
0: We will definitely be looking you up. So guys, thanks for stopping by the Real Estate Rundown. Jeffrey Holst, you can find him at lastlifeever.com or you can find him on the Last Life uh, Ever Facebook group and he's on the Old Fashioned Real Estate Show. Thanks again, Jeffrey.